you make a loan and you don't get the money back, it's always a C2. It's just whether the loan itself is a personal use asset or not. And you've got to go to section 108-20 to try to work out whether the loan is a personal use asset. And the big carve out is if the debt is arising other than in the course of gaining or producing your accessible income. You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 153 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. It is a common scenario that shareholders of private companies make shareholder loans to their company, especially at the start. When you start a new company, unless you hit gold straight away or unless you put a ridiculous amount of capital into the company, the business needs money to get off the ground and it often comes through a shareholder loan. But not all businesses actually get off the ground. Some businesses just don't make it. And then after the shareholder loaned more and more money to the company, it finally dawns on him or her that the money is lost and that the company will never be able to repay the loan. So what happens if the shareholder then forgives this loan? This is the question that Soho Rana sent to us. She writes, the shareholder slash director of the company provides a loan to the business. The business is unable to repay the loan to the shareholder, and so the shareholder writes it off. How is this treated in the tax returns of the shareholder as well as the company? Andrew Henshaw of Velocity Legal in Sydney kindly agreed to answer this question as well after he already answered quite a few other questions in the other episodes. So here's my talk with Andrew. The shareholder or director gives the company a yep. loan. Yep. That happens a lot. Yeah. Somebody sets up a new company has to put money into the company to get it going. The company never gets off the ground and can't repay yep. the debt. Yeah. I assume it's not a Division 7A issue. Yeah, correct. So it's not a Division 7A issue because in this case, the loan is coming from the shareholder to the company. Division 7A will only apply where a loan is going from the company to the shareholder. So purpose of Division 7A is to stop money leaking out of companies other than as dividends. Here, you've actually got money being injected. And this is quite common when businesses need money to get off the ground. The shareholders will make loans to the company. And these will often be undocumented loans as well. It'll just be money is being provided on the drip feed and the accountant sort of has to make sense of it at the end of the financial year. It's a good question. What happens if, let's say, the business goes under, it's not able to pay the loans to the shareholder? How is it treated Is it a commercial debt forgiveness? So the commercial debt forgiveness rules could be relevant, but they will affect the tax attributes of the company itself. And if that company is going under anyway, I suspect it's probably not going to matter too much because you can't reduce nothing further than zero. So the question is, can the shareholder claim <coughs> a tax deduction for the loss of money? Yeah, it's a really good question. Generally, a shareholder would not be able to claim an immediate tax deduction for the bad debt. You've got to go back to principles about where you can claim deductions for things. So if you're in the business of lending money, you're a bank, a bank can claim a deduction for a bad debt. But if you're not in the business of lending money, you generally cannot claim a tax deduction. Well, if I can't claim a tax deduction, what else could there be? 
Now, the fallback from a tax deduction is a capital loss. When a loan is made and is written off, it does trigger a CGT event. I believe it's CGT event C2. What's happened is you've made a loan and now the loan's been written off and you've got nothing back. So you've got a cost base of, let's say you've lent a million dollars, you've got a cost base of a million dollars and you've got nothing back. So that would mean that you'd get a capital loss of a million dollars. Now, there are exclusions to these rules. So in certain circumstances, you can't claim capital loss. The main circumstance is where the asset is a personal use asset. You're thinking, well, how can a loan be a personal use asset? And what's really required is it's sort of a bit of a tracing approach. So just to give a a really simple example and a non-business one, if you've got a father and a son, father's lending money to the son to buy his main residence and then the son can't repay that then clearly in those circumstances that loan is a personal use asset because the money is being lent for personal use it's not being lent to produce income or business activities or anything so it's a personal use asset in those circumstances the circumstances of the father lending to the son the capital loss would actually be denied under the personal use rules. I believe this is actually in section 108-20 of the 97 Act. What that section says is that a personal use asset includes all debts other than those that are arising in the course of gaining or producing your assessable income or from carrying on a business. But so if the loan comes from the shareholder itself... Mm. And the shareholder makes the loan to produce future accessible dividends. Could it then be argued that it is a C2 capital loss? So there's a couple of things you need to look at. You'd have to then look at who the shareholders are. A lot of the time, the shareholders, that private company would actually be a trust, discretionary trust. And if that's the circumstance, then it's very difficult for the individual shareholder to claim any sort of required nexus to any dividends that would be produced by that company because the dividends would be the income of the trust and then under trust principles the trust can choose who it wants to pass that money to and it's not obliged to pass it back to that individual. What I say to clients is the best way of doing it is to charge interest on the loans or have the ability to charge interest on the loans. So document them. Yeah, document those loans and also put in provisions that charge interest. Now, recognize that it would be difficult for the private company to repay monthly with interest. It doesn't have to be like that. It can be more of a capitalization type approach. But if there's interest charged on the loan, then it's more likely that the debt would fall into the exclusion from the personal use asset rules because more likely the debt will fall into the exclusion from the personal use asset rules because there'll be a nexus to gaining or producing income from the for the lender. So it's really a problem where there's undocumented at-call loans and it can be very grey in those circumstances whether the lender can actually claim a capital loss. So it's a a bit of a grey, tricky issue. And can it only be a capital loss if the company actually goes under or can the um, shareholder also claim a capital loss upon the time of debt forgiveness? Yeah, yeah, it's at the time that the loan is written off. So it doesn't require the company to sort of go into liquidation. It just needs to be formally forgiven. So the best way of doing that is documenting it again. You can do it via a deed of forgiveness, which acknowledges that that the loan's being forgiven. If there's a liquidator that's been appointed already, that is probably going to be sufficient as well. 
Um, yeah, so it doesn't have to be company going under. But that can be a fantastic way out for mm. a failed business venture. Let's say Peter has a day job, earns quite a lot of money. Then in his private time, he sets up a company hoping that it will be the, the big startup, puts, let's say, $100,000 into it. Mm. The company spends the entire 100000 generates a tax loss of $100,000 mm. and can't repay the loan and it doesn't look good. Now, this tax loss of $100,000 is... is is um, what's the word? It's, it's trapped in the company. It's trapped. Yeah. That's the word. Yep. It's trapped in the company. Yeah, correct. But Peter now has this receivable of hundred thousand dollars. He can claim a capital loss mm. for mm. this forgiven debt, or the debt is written off. Yep. And now he can claim this capital loss against all the other income. Yeah, if, if he's got capital gains, he can use the capital loss to to offset against those. For the company, it would lose those losses if that debt forgiveness happened under the commercial debt forgiveness rules as a general proposition. So otherwise you'd get a double benefit. You'd get the capital loss plus the company would still have those losses available and be able to use those potentially in the future. So essentially what the purpose of the debt forgiveness rules are is to make sure you can't double dip. And all this only works if the loan actually comes from the shareholder. Yeah, well, if it's from someone else who's not a shareholder, recommendation would be to document it correctly and charge interest or have the ability to charge interest. I see. So, so then there case, would still be yeah, a be chance okay. to yep. claim a C2 capital yep. loss. Yep. Yeah, correct. Oh, really? Yeah. And is it possible to backdate? Um, so you're asking a lawyer. That's <laughs> it. No. <laughs> Okay, but what happens if originally it wasn't documented Mm. and now five years later Peter and his wife realise that they should have done that and so now they document it and they don't backdate it but they Mm. say we did this and now as of date today we make this agreement but it should be applied retrospectively and therefore... Yeah, is that possible? It's a very grey one. Obviously, there'll be evidence that exists that the loans were there in the form of their money being transferred and so forth. So there's so really no question that a loan actually exists. It's more a question of well, what were the terms of that loan? Was it at call? Should interest be charged? You're in a bit of a grey space. It's not really clear either way. It really depends on a period of time that's elapsed, who the shareholders are, when the money was given. And it is a grey one, and I'd probably suggest getting a ruling to confirm in those circumstances where if you've got a significant amount of money that's been invested in as loans, undocumented, it's a very grey situation, yeah. So the good news is the C2 can yep. even apply if it's not the shareholder that gave the loan. It can also apply if somebody else gave the loan. Yep. The bad news is it should have been documented from the start hmm. to allow a C2 capital loss future on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The crux of it is if you make a loan and you, you don't get the money back, it's always a C2. It's just whether the loan itself is a personal use asset or not. And you've got to go to section 108-20 to try to work out whether the loan is a personal use asset. And the, the big carve out is if the debt is arising other than in the course of gaining or producing your accessible income. So if I'm not a shareholder and I make a loan and there's not charging any interest on that, then I would say that's a debt that's not arising in the course of gaining or producing accessible income because how could it be? I'm not a shareholder of the company and also I'm not getting any interest, any accessible income back from, from that loan. So The moment we have a loan agreement with interest being charged, we have the nexus to accessible income and that's enough. Yeah, yep, yep, correct. You could even have interest only being charged in certain circumstances, like financial distress. Then I think that would probably be enough to, 
establish a suitable nexus. Look at how many small businesses fail. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've had clients in that circumstance, and like the guy lent like a million dollars to the company. It was had to do advice on this very section on whether he could claim a capital loss or not. And could he? I concluded that he could. In can't exactly remember the exact like the exact circumstances now, but we concluded that he could. But it wasn't black and white. Like it was, it was grey. Did he have a loan agreement from the start? He did. Ah. But it was like a facility type agreement. So he had like a facility agreement in place saying you'll lend money. And that agreement did contemplate charging interest. It's just that they never did actually charge the interest. So he said, look, it was contemplated that interest was supposed to be charged. I think that's probably enough to say it's a debt that's rising and the, the fact is they just didn't charge interest because the company was not going well. And, and did the ATO audit that? Nah, not, not yet. <laughs> but we said to get a ruling if you want to get confirmation on it, if you want to get certainty. Because that could trigger the ATO's attention if suddenly yeah, you yeah. have a loss of $1 million. Yeah, well, especially when you're trying to use it as well. Mm. Yeah, so because in the moment there's no revenue loss. It's only one to, once a capital gain actually arises that it's... Uh, so it could be down the track that it's, that it's looked at because at the moment it's just a capital loss. It's not affecting revenue. But when you make a capital gain, then it's all of a sudden you don't pay tax on that capital gain because you've got that capital loss. Yeah, that's a very yeah. good point. Yeah. With all of this, the ATO yeah. probably only comes knocking once you have a capital gain of a million dollars and you start offsetting it. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a problem with all capital losses and tax losses for that matter as well. That The ATO doesn't need to look at it when you're claiming the loss. The ATO doesn't need to look at it when you're stating that you are entitled to a loss because that's not actually affecting revenue when you're using the capital loss or tax loss because at that point you're actually offsetting income which you'd otherwise pay tax on against that loss so that could be quite a while afterwards so from an evidentiary and records keeping perspective it's important to actually keep records for any capital losses or tax losses that that you may say you're entitled to because if you don't have those records and you try to use them later on the ATO could turn around and say okay well prove that the tax loss existed, prove that the capital loss was there and you might be fumbling around 10 years after that's actually happened to try to piece together what it was and hard to remember at that stage. So definitely an issue. Yeah, that's a very good point. A lot mm. of people might think, oh, it's two years ago or four years ago, I can yeah. throw out my books. Yeah. But you actually, when you're in a loss situation in a company yeah. or, or, as a, or in any tax return, yep. you need to keep all receipts for however long it takes to use up this loss. Yeah, yep. Yeah, there was a case, I forget the name of it, but the company had losses going back 20 years or roughly about 20 years and the commissioner required that the taxpayer prove that they were entitled to those losses to use those losses and it boiled down to the taxpayer had to satisfy the commissioner that it actually satisfied the continuity of ownership test and it boiled down to a lack of proper records about who the actual owners of the company were 
going back over this 20-year period. So they were actually unable to claim those losses now because they couldn't establish from an evidentiary point of view that they did satisfy the continuity of ownership test and therefore could actually claim the losses. So That yeah. surprises me because yeah. the ESSEC register tracks exactly who are the shareholders. Well, the ESSEC register tracks who legally are the shareholders. It doesn't track who beneficially are the shareholders. So you can have shares held on trust or on bear trust or all kinds of weird, wonderful arrangements. But in the stock standard, yeah, you're right. The, the ASIC does track who legally owns those shares. The commercial debt forgiveness rules, mm. they do kick in, don't they? Mm-hmm. In this so most likely would kick in, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you need to check that it's a commercial debt, meaning yep. it charged interest. You need to check that it was after 27th of June 1996 because yep. before yep. there were some different rules. You need to check that the interest would have been deductible if it yes. had been paid. Yep. And then you need to check whether it actually has been forgiven. So whether it's been forgiven and then... Statue barred, et um, yeah, and then what the if there's any characteristics of the... Um, the debtor that can be reduced so it reduces tax losses capital losses and then cost base of assets so there's four different criteria where you've got a commercial debt forgiveness the legislation prescribes what the effect of that is. So you work out what the net forgiven amount is, and then that's deducted from certain attributes of the debtor. So those include revenue losses, capital losses, deductible expenses, and the cost base of assets. And a question sometimes arises, well, okay, well, I've got a net forgiven amount, and I don't have any revenue losses, I don't have any capital losses, don't have any deductible expenses, and I've got no cost base in any of my assets. What happens? Well, you just disregard the rest. There is no consequences. There's not some mechanism that taxes the rest. You just disregard the rest. So if you've got nothing to reduce the net forgiven amount against, then it's disregarded. Mm. But that would be a very rare scenario because usually if a company is Mm. unable to repay your debt, they usually would have tax losses. Correct. They would usually have some attributes that you can reduce against, yeah. So it's rare, it does come up, um, but it is rare. Uh, coming back to the example we used before where Peter gave a loan to the company of $100,000 yep. and then we said, yes, if Peter had a proper loan agreement, he could have charged a capital loss under yep. two for this yep. $100,000, but then the company would have had the net forgiven amount. Yep, it would, would have reduce had those capital losses. losses. Yeah, and I, I mean, believe... Assuming, assuming that the company generated a tax loss with the... Uh, $100,000, but of course it could also have bought an asset yeah. that then went bust and yep. then they would have had a capital loss, so then they would have uh, yeah. offset yep. it against the capital loss. Yeah, most likely one way or another the, the, the company would have some sort of losses if it's been a failed business venture, so it would mean that those losses essentially lost, forgive the debt. But you get the capital loss. Oh, yeah, capital yep. loss. Yep. Yeah. yeah, you get the capital loss. Yeah. The write-off of the receivable is always a capital loss because it's a capital asset. It's only a revenue loss if we are in mm. the business of making if loans. If you're in the business of, of making loans, if you're a money lender, then you could have it as a revenue expense. But otherwise, for everyone else, it's just going to be a capital loss, hopefully, subject to those personal use asset rules. Is it possible to forgive the debt whenever? 
So is it even possible to forgive it in, in tranches? To, for example, say we forgive 20% this year and 20% next year, uh, arguing are we still having hope that the company will be able to repay some of it? Or is it usually all or nothing? I've never really seen it as in parts, but there's no, I don't think there's any reason why you couldn't do it that way. I think just what generally happens is hope is held out until it's clear that there's nothing left and at that point it's written off. But in principle, you could have loans partially being forgiven. If there is no loan agreement from the start, is it possible to just in theory repay the loan and then make it a new loan and then have the loan agreement in place. But of course, the company doesn't have the money to repay it. So yeah. is, it, is it possible to just somehow say, we give it back to you and then you give it to us again? I think the problem is at that point, if you're ending the first loan, because the company doesn't have any capacity to, to repay at that point, you would have that CGT event at that time and you'd have market value. The loan point is fine if the company's not insolvent already. If it's not insolvent yet, it's still actually that debt is actually recoverable and it's got the capacity to pay it, then I'd definitely recommend putting a loan agreement in place where there wasn't one. It's only an issue where you're thinking, okay, well, the horse has bolted already and the company has no ability to repay. In that case, it's not going to get bank finance either. Welcome back. So if shareholders forgive a loan they made to a company, you need to look at both sides of the transaction, the debtor and the creditor side. On the debtor side, meaning the company in this case, you first need to check whether it is a commercial loan. And if it is, the commercial debt forgiveness rules kick in. This means you take the net forgiven amount and offset it against carry-forward revenue losses and then carry forward capital losses, then deductible expenses, and then the cost base of an asset. That is, for tax purposes. On the creditor side, meaning the shareholder in this case, there is a chance that the shareholder, and let's assume the shareholder is you, there is a chance that you can claim a capital loss for the money you lost. But you can only claim a capital loss if you made the loan to derive income. So for that reason, properly document any loans between you as the shareholder and your company and charge interest and actually pay the interest to make it 100% clear that this is a commercial loan deriving income. In the next episode, episode 154, Andrew Henshaw will talk about the recent Harding case. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Klaus for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.